What's up, guys? Today on the SalesCast podcast, we have a very special guest, the one, the only. It's Josh Braun. Josh, thanks so much for joining us. The one and only. Why? Can you guys do that every day? That makes me feel really good. Like maybe call me and just like say that. That would be awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. And that was something I wanted to ask you about, Josh. If we could call you every day, because it seems like you figured out the cold calling game. Sure. How'd you get if you started something in that? Interesting, if you have something interesting to say, call me every time. Absolutely. How would we cut through the noise? Well, I think you have to first start by figuring out something that you know that I don't know that can make me more awesome. So that's the question I would have for you. I might just reverse that on you. What would be awesome? What would catch your attention? Well, I think when you're reaching out to people, you have to have a hypothesis. Let me give you an example, just to make this a little more specific. I'll tell you a couple of stories. I'm gonna tell you two actually, and you tell me what they both have in common. So story number one, this was, couple years ago, I was in the mall with my wife and I did not need anything. I was just accompanying her while she was shopping in the mall. And I happened to work, uh, walk into a fit to run store, needing nothing. So if the store associate said to me, what brings you in today, Luke? What do you think I would have said? Just, just killing some time. If she said, can I help you? What do you think I would have said? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. She didn't do any of those things. She looked down at my sneakers. She said, are you a runner? I said, yes. She said, what distance? I said, marathon. And she said, have you ever had a running gate test? And I said, what's that? Moments later, I'm on a treadmill in the store. Actually, I have a video of this. She freezes a frame and she says, have you noticed that your feet are overpronating? I'm like, oh yeah, they are. She goes, and did you know that if you run in sneakers that are not made for pronated feet, you can get injured on long distance runs. If you'd like, we could check your sneakers to see if they're made for pronated feet. And they weren't. And six minutes later, I was spending $92 on fucking insoles. That's story number one. Now we're gonna go to story number two and you tell me what they have in common because it gets to your question of how do you stand out? This is step one, right? So love washing my car on the weekends. Find it very therapeutic. I'm a car nut, love to keep my car perfect. I buy my car wash supplies from this place called Adams Polishes. I got an email from them, maybe it's been a year ago now. And I'll never forget this line in the email. It said, uh, Josh, how do you know your car wash mitt isn't scratching your car? And I was like, well, huh. it turns out that if you wash your car with a normal bucket, dirt can get on the sponge. If you have a dark colored car like I do, that can create deep swirl marks. And if you're a car nut like I am, you got to get that taken care of. That's 800 bucks. Not to mention when you sell the car, they're going to run a paint thin meter over it. See that the car has been resprayed. It's going to reduce the residual value of the car. They sell a new type of bucket with a grate on the bottom of it. You rub your sponge on the grate and the dirt settles to the bottom of the bucket and off your car and I bought it. So let me ask you guys, what do those two stories have in common? Hyper relevant. Mm, hyper relevant, that's kind of jargony. Um, tell me more about it. What, what is it about those two stories that are the same? They're like personal to you. You really enjoyed marathon running. You really enjoyed cleaning your car. Still not there yet. You can help him out, Luke. Might have this, and Patrick Downs has kind of pulled the curtain aside on this for me a little bit. But were those spotlight questions, Josh? What do you mean by a spotlight question? What is that? I've never heard that term before. Uh, a spotlight question. 
um, just as the definition is shining light on something that you had no idea existed. So typically going to that running store, can I help you? No, I'm good. Just killing time with my wife. What the associate did was she looked at your shoes, gauged the situation, what, three and a half seconds and said, are you a marathon runner or what type of runner are you? And she was able to extrapolate off that and give you an insight you didn't know about. And that's what led to the value to even get on a treadmill, just starting that conversation. Am I off base there? Spot on. So what you're doing is you're sort of shining a light on a gap in the prospect's understanding of how they're getting the job done today. That to answer your question is how you break through the noise. You don't say, let me make you a faster runner. I'm already running. You don't say, I'm gonna get your car cleaner. I'm already getting your car clean. All of your prospects that you're reaching out to are washing their car with a sponge and they're running in their sneakers. You have to have a hypothesis about what they don't know that you know that can hurt them. From there, you can start to then talk about how you turn that into messaging that's clear and that inspires people to respond. But it has to start with a hypothesis and a lot of people don't have that. They're sort of barking value propositions. They're talking in very generic and vague ways. And so when prospects read the message, they're like, I'm already doing that. Nobody's sitting around not doing anything. Or you just to kind of drive this out? home a little, just to kind of drive this home a little further. You guys might be a little young to remember this, but <laughs> back in the day, there was this really popular workout program called P90X. Wildly oh, successful. Remember P90X? You mm -hmm. might not know that that commercial, when they launched the product, failed 22 times. Product couldn't make any money. Tony Horton, who is the creator of the workout program, came up with a great idea. He created out of thin air two words that catapulted sales to pretty much nothing to like 700 million in like a year. And the two words were muscle confusion. You can actually Google this on YouTube. And what he basically said was, you know, the problem with traditional workouts is you plateau. You're doing the same workout over and over again and your muscles stay stagnant, they don't grow. What you need is to confuse your muscles. You need different workouts, different muscles to confuse your muscles so they grow. And if you buy into muscle confusion, by the way, we've got this thing called P90X. So all three of these stories, the P90X, the bucket, and the insoles, they all have this common thread of you shining a light, I call them illumination questions, on something your prospect doesn't know that can hurt them. You kind of have this gap. So what you're looking for is the prospect to scratch their head and go, I'm not sure. What do you, what do you mean? And typically when you ask these questions on a cold call, or even in a cold email, you typically get, who is this? What, what do you mean? You're trying to get people to think differently about how they're getting the job done today. So these questions are very powerful, but that's to answer your question, that's how it starts. Um, the second thing that's also very important is to detach from the assumption that everyone's gonna drop what they're doing to wanna talk with you. Because when you assume Everybody wants to talk to you. Everyone wants to book a meeting with you. You say and act in ways that feel off-putting to people. You feel salesy. People can feel the push. You're trying to overcome and convince and persuade. It's very off-putting. So you have to have a subtle approach. And it starts with not having an agenda. And I know that's counterintuitive. 
But when you set your intent on not having an agenda and just trying to create an environment using your words and tonality, that gives people the space to decide if they'd like to continue the conversation with you or not, you end up actually starting more conversations with people when you sort of detach and pull away. And when you're calm, when you're not, you sound very hypey on a, on a cold call. I'll give you another quick example. I'll give you the same line, two different intents. So opening of a cold call. This is the first way to say it if you're detached from the outcome. Hey, Luke, my name is Josh. We've never met, but I was hoping you could help me out for a moment. Now, same line, but I'm attached to getting the meeting. Luke, this is Josh. I'm with Acme. Um, we don't know each other, but, but can you help me out for a moment? Same exact line, two different intents and mindsets. When we have that intent to book a meeting, it's like we're at the rough part of the ocean on the top going through waves. We're pushing, they're pushing, it's rough. When you detach from the outcome, you go to the bottom of the ocean where it's nice and calm, where people feel comfortable telling you the truth. You don't see objections as things you have to overcome. You see them as things that you just have to understand. It's just a much better way to sell. It feels better on your soul. And it also doesn't come across as you trying to manipulate or sell people which is off-putting. You guys have probably experienced this in your personal life. People that sort of the push of the sale, that's the sort of sort of mall kiosk people. Can, can I ask you a question? Uh-oh, about to get sea scrub rubbed on my hand in about two minutes. <laughs> and there's your demo. Hey, there's yeah. your demo. But no, you're exactly right there, Josh. And can we talk about follow-up for a second? Because the classic way of doing it just checking in. Any thoughts on this? Um, circling around. Everything is needy, 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 needy. And I think you came up with a way to, again, as you mentioned, detach from that. Can you shed a little light on that side of things? Yeah. So, I, so again, it starts with understanding how you can make someone's life better in a way that they might not know about. So if you think about the triathlon example, we've been talking a little bit about running. By triathlon, if you're a triathlon coach, you have to have a hypothesis first. Right, so let's just talk about one. If you're training for a triathlon, people that don't know, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 on the bike, and then a marathon all done back to back. And if you're gonna do one of those, typically it requires about 20 hours of training a week. The problem with that is that puts a huge strain on your family. You're sleeping in on Sundays, you're not playing with your kids. It's a very strange, strange relationship with your significant other because you're eating at three and going to bed at five and there's nothing in the fridge for when they want to cook dinner. It's, it's, it's stressful. All problems have implications. The problem, 20 hours a week. The implication, mad wife, unhappy kids, sleeping on Sundays. So if you're a triathlon coach and your hypothesis is, hey, I can help you be confident when you start and finish, but with only 10 hours a week, that's a good hypothesis. That's going to make my ears perk up. From a follow-up perspective, I don't want to make all my chest moves at once. I might talk about the mental game in one email. I might talk about the run. I might talk about the bike. I might talk about the swim. I might talk about nutrition. And I might address each of those things in a separate email because when we combine too many things in one email, brains get confused. They can't grasp it all. So one idea per email, you highlight one way in which a prospect is getting the job done today 
and how they could be getting it done in a better way. And you kind of drip that out in a series of chess moves over the course of your touches. Um, something else that I heard, uh, Charlotte Johnson, I was just interviewing her. She's a uh, SDR over at uh, Salesloft. She does something really creative too. Um, one of the popular ways to follow up if you write a really great first email is this idea of, you know, any thoughts, you know, sort of as a, as a bump, uh, which a lot of people like, and they say they have a lot of success with. Um, a lot of people are using it. It can be a little tired. And although some people are responding, I wonder also how many people don't respond and you're kind of getting pissed off. People always talk about, oh, there people respond. I'm like, yeah, but how many people are like getting pissed off? Like 99% and one person's responding. So Charlotte Johnson does this thing that I thought was really creative because it makes someone feel something. It makes them feel good, makes them smile. She actually has a little gif of herself and she's kind of pointing up to the gif and, say, and saying, look up here. You know, like it's a kind of another way to kind of get some juice out of that first email, but doing it in a way that's a little bit, you know, fun. Um, so I'm a, I'm a fan of that as well. If I may, it sounds like when thoughts and any thoughts on this came out, it was a pattern interrupt because it hadn't been seen before. And it's like, all right, let's put the attention back on the first email. But is it still a pattern interrupt when everybody's doing it? I, from what I hear in the sales community, it is effective in getting responses. I don't know what that means exactly. Like when you say effective, like you sent an email out to 10,000 people and three people responded to the any thoughts. Like, is that, does that mean it's successful? I also like to do things that just feel good on your soul. You know, so I really like Charlotte's approach. And I also like the approach of not referencing a failed attempt by trying to create other, you know, your product solves lots of different problems. Like if I'm Uber and I'm competing with taxis, one problem I solve is really tough to get a taxi five o'clock on a Friday, especially if it's raining or snowing in Chicago and you gotta get to an important meeting, hard. And you're gonna be late. Another problem I saw it solves is, you know, sometimes cabs can smell really bad. Another problem it solves is sometimes cabs can be dirty and get the dirt on your clothes. Another problem it solves is no chargers. You might need to charge your phone for an important business call. Another problem it solves is you don't know which route the taxi cabs are taking. You don't know how it's going to be if they're overcharging. So there's lots of different ways in which you could potentially help. I would suggest sort of stringing those out into a series of emails and also obviously doing different channels. You know, LinkedIn, love LinkedIn voicemail messages. Um, not so much the channel, but the actual message that you say. Um, and so you can kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, without having to just keep bumping things to the top of everyone's inbox. I saw someone yesterday wrote, hey, just bumping this to the top of your inbox. And I think the prospect wrote back, can you bump it back down? Like, can you please like not do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you make a good point. I mean, Gary Vee said this a long time ago. He's like, marketers ruin everything. Like the more popular something gets, the sort of less effective it is. That's what, something else I want to ask is, do you plan out all these different problems and the different channels you approach it on? I do. So I have a, I have a doc that I use when I teach. Um, if you can imagine, it's, it's called uh, Jobs to be Done Doc. So what's the job the person has to get done? So in column one, it's like, what sucks? And it's just one thing. Column two is, why does it suck? So what sucks is, get dirt on your sponge. Why does it suck? Swirl marks on the car. $800 problem. What's better? Dirt at the bottom of the bucket and off your car. Why is it better? Last column. It's better because you can clean your car without the risk 
of scratching your car. And so if you can think about that as a four column spreadsheet, kind of fill those things out based on customer testimonials. You watch customer testimonial videos and you start to hear all these things and you fill this out, I call it kind of a lingo library. And you actually lift the customer's language right into the emails because you can't make up that stuff. Like a, a, a triathlon example for the triathlon would be, hey, Josh, you know, what are you doing to ensure the last six miles of your 26.2 mile Ironman run don't turn into a Frankenstein walk? Like that's the kind of language that someone would actually say it's kind of emotionally charged versus we're gonna help you optimize your run. Doesn't quite hit you quite as hard. Uh, I did a big project for a company called Altrix. Doesn't really matter what they do, but they sell to analysts. And analysts are like having to go to lots of different spreadsheets to pull all this data together to analyze it with. And when I interviewed a customer, they said, you know, one of the things I hate is like smashing together all these spreadsheets. That's, you can kind of feel the emotion there, right? So in the email, I said, what analysts hate, smashing together spreadsheets, things like A, B, C, and D. What if you could without having to do Y? Like, but you, you can't make up that language. You got to get that from customer testimonials or just interview some customers and you'll start to get that, that, lang that, that crispy language. That crispy language not only applies to emails, but when you're actually talking to somebody, that's where the boss comes in with mirroring, making sure it's crispy, if I'm hearing you correctly. Mirroring is a little different than that. So mirroring is a technique that makes people feel heard. It's repeating the last two or three words that someone said with a slight uptone as if to say, tell, tell me more. Um, the crispy language on a cold call, you know, could sound like this. You know, I, I call somebody from the triathlon coach example. Uh, hey, uh, Josh, this is, this is Coach Bob. We've never met, noticed you're in the Boca Tri group and was hoping to speak with you briefly. Do, do you have a minute? Uh, sure, Coach Bob. Hey, Josh, I, I talk to triathletes all the time. They tell me they're having a really hard time balancing work and family with training for an Ironman. How are you getting that done today? Are you like waking up at 4 a.m., going on Zwift at like 11, or are you just too exhausted to answer this question? Like that's how that's that's a good start of a cold call because we're going to kind of pass the potato back we're going to ask a question that's going to get them thinking a little bit differently about how they're getting the job done today or have you figured out how to get the job done with only about spending 20 hours a week training what, what do you mean without spending 20 hours a week training the, the word without is a magical copywriting phrase for cold calls and cold emails and let me tell you why um, remember everyone's getting the job done today I don't know if you guys have seen this on Netflix. There's this guy, Alex Hanan, I think his name is. He climbed El Capitan, this huge rock in the Grand Canyon. Uh, he climbed up the rock, but without ropes. Meaning that if he messed up this climb, which by the way is like, I don't know, some crazy 6,000 foot rock that he dies. You watch this on Netflix, it's nail biting. It's, it's the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. If it said, watch Alex climb El Capitan, no big deal. But because it said without ropes, that makes your ears sort of perk up like without ropes. So you could use that phrase in your copy. You know, finish an Ironman, but without training for 20 hours a week. What do you mean without training 20 hours a week? 
Another example for athletic greens, which is a powdered drink mix. You know, get your 78 greens without having to eat them. Hmm, what is that? Another example for Captivate IQ, which is a tool that helps sales reps, sales leaders pay commissions. Calculate and run commission statements for your reps without having to manually smash spreadsheets together. All right, so this word, this word without articulates something the person doesn't have to do today that sucks. Or the word no, you know, so these are, these are phrases that I've learned from copywriters, honestly, that you're just taking now to be able to use in your emails, LinkedIn messages, voicemails, videos, or cold calls. I kind of want to change gears a little bit here because we've been talking about a lot of tips and a lot of like advanced stuff, stuff that kind of, you know, as Luke mentioned before we started, he was a little bit of uh, my mentor <laughs> when we started. So we kind of started with basics and, and moved along the lines as I got a little bit better at some of the things that he was kind of going over with me. My question to you is, and, and I remember, I'll, I'll share a quick story. When I first started as an SDR, I definitely had like some anxiety about hitting quota, making these cold calls. I feel like that's a pretty normal thing. A lot of people go through that. One of the first podcasts I listened to is yours. And you did a podcast. I can't remember her name, but she was like an SDR leader at a company. And she was just talking about like SDR anxiety and then went into, you know, her pitch and how she kind of positioned herself when she made these cold calls. You guys did a live role play. And I was listening to it. And that's kind of like where I started to develop my personality on the phone, getting more comfortable on the phone and listening to other people's tips and things like that. My question for you is when somebody first starts out in sales, like where do you recommend they start, especially like in an SDR role or something like that? Like where do they look to find that info? Yeah, you make a great point. I think there's two parts to that. Let's talk about part one first. A lot of the feeling of rejection is caused by the attachment to the outcome. It's really low self-worth. You're attaching success to the extrinsic motivation, which is the meeting, so that when you don't get it, you actually feel less than, and you start to play this story in your head. And then that puts you in this sort of downward, downward spiral. Um, the way out of that is to make this small little two millimeter shift. And instead of focusing on getting the meeting, focus on how you can create an environment where prospects feel comfortable telling you the truth, which is, yes, they'd like to talk or no, they don't at this time. Just because a door is closed doesn't mean it's locked forever. Now that sounds all good in practice, but to your point, I got commission, I got like quotas. So how do I, how do, I do that? Um, the key to it is abundance. The better you are at starting conversations and detaching, the more conversations you're actually gonna have. Ironically, when you detach, more people are attracted to that. So it's not about a conversation, so to speak. A rejection is like swinging the baseball bat and missing the ball. It's kind of part of the process. When, when I meditate, I just learned this last week, I'm taking this transcendental meditation class and I told my teacher, I'm like, I'm having all these thoughts when I meditate. And they're like, thank goodness. I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's stress being released. It's part of the process. You know, it's part of the process. So that's, that's kind of thing number one. When you actually do detach, your tonality just completely changes. 
The second thing that's equally important that causes this stress and anxiety is that, that you're, you're a salesperson, but you don't really understand or you can't see the black and white version of the prospect's commercial because you've never done their job. So you're kind of barking these words, but you don't really get what the problem is at a specific level. Let me give you an example of what it looks like to be specific. And you're going to start to see a movie in your head when I tell you the story. And you've got this guy in a kitchen. He loves making French fries for his family. He does it four times a week. There he is in the kitchen right now. He's got a knife. He's slicing the potatoes into half inch pieces. Some are half inch, some are a little less, puts them in the oven. Some are burnt, some are crispy, some are soggy. Family doesn't eat them all. Throws about 35% of them in the garbage can. Doesn't make him feel good. Sometimes he nicks his finger when he's doing it. And then he's got to clean the kitchen up for two and a half hours afterwards because there's potato stuff all over the place. On the ground, on the kitchen, in between the stove and that little crack over there. So you probably saw that black and white version. Oftentimes, because we're selling to IT people or people we've never done the job, we say, well, they, they're not able to optimize their spreadsheets. What does that mean? Like, I can't see that. I can't feel that. I can't, and it's a feeling. I can't feel what that's like. I can't see or feel the before version of the infomercial and how we materially make their life better. The triathlon example, the 20 hours versus 10 hours. Why does that matter? Look at him spending time with his family. He's not sleeping all day on Sunday. Look at how nice he's getting along with his wife or significant other. They're eating dinner today at the table versus before where he's scarfing down food at three o'clock. Wife goes into the refrigerator to make a meal and the chicken is gone and she's freaking pissed. You could tell this is my life, right? So it's a, feel, it's a feeling, it's a feeling. So you have to be able to feel the before version and feel the after version. The question becomes, well, how do I do that? A couple ways. Like the best way is to just interview customers if you're allowed. Sometimes for whatever reason, sales people aren't allowed to do that. Listen to the customer testimonial videos, case studies, not the marketing stuff. Like what was the, like, I don't understand this. Let's say you're selling the chief resource off, uh, you know, CROs. Ask your chief revenue officer, like, what was this like? Like, show me, like, I wanna see like, what was the problem with this? You know, so the, the more clear you can get on that, then when you call, you're like, oh my God, I got to save this person from sleeping on Sunday. And I have the right intent. That's going to accelerate. That's going to help you be more comfortable on the call. A lot of reps work for companies where they don't really believe in the, like they'll say the value prop words, but they don't really, they're like, I don't know. I don't really know what it is. I kind of, really, if they had to be really honest, like I just saying these things and therefore they feel like they're not worthy of calling. You don't control if someone's going to agree. You don't control the outcome. You don't control your quota. You just control how many dials you make, what you say, how you say it, your mindset, how you respond when prospects push back. You know, and so that's that's those two things together is the keys to, are the keys to cracking that. Yeah. I think when I first started as well, that was a transition or a transformation rather that I went through where I eventually became detached. Like that's exactly right. Like when you put it that way, I became detached to the outcome. I was no longer concerned with my quote or anything like that. I was concerned with the individual call and the way I was saying things. And then it relayed back like kind of like a tone of indifference. I just sounded like I was calling somebody trying to figure out if they were interested, if they wanted to talk and what the problem was. So it awesome. like brought that tone of indifference and I think that's like the biggest thing that I wanted you to talk about, because I know that's something that a lot of people have issues with 
and Luke is a robot over there. I don't really think he ever had any of those problems when he first started, but um, I definitely wanted somebody to talk about that so they can get Luke's some got, kind listen, of advice. Listen, Max, Luke's got plenty of issues. We don't have to get into all of that. <laughs> Trust me when I say we all have them. We all have issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this thing like, you, you. it's not that you don't care about your job, but when you start to have this idea in your head that you don't control certain things in your life, not just in sales. This is not about just sales. Like there's things in your life you don't control, which is other people. Like I was biking the other day on the road and it's always this thing where cars are mad at bikers, even though we're in the bike lane, I'm sure they're mad for a reason. And they're beeping their horns, flipping people off, all kinds of stuff. I don't control that. I don't control when people buy. Don't control that. I only control how I respond and how I act. The second you can sort of understand that and deeply like get that, it becomes very peaceful when you talk to people. People don't upset you anymore like they used to. It took me 20 years to figure this out, believe it or not, as simple as it sounds. Someone told me it's kind of grounded in stoicism, which I've studied a little bit, but this idea of like, you can't control, don't focus on things you can't control. Um, it's freeing, honestly. And the meditation has helped me tremendously. I just got into transcendental meditation, which we don't have to talk about on this call, but that is also another thing that just gets you to see the world completely different. It's a form of meditation that really impacts how you sell and how you have communications with anybody. It just gets you to slow down a little bit and to not be so reactionary. That's where the Voss stuff comes in really well, which is the technique used to just make people feel heard and to slow you down a little bit. You're exactly right, Josh. It's detaching yourself from the outcome and that perspective, that shift was something that was so transformative for me. Yeah. Trying so hard. I need to hit quota, I need to hit quota, I need to hit quota. Hold on. We have a solution out here. We know what the problems are. And by the way, Mr. Customer, sounds like you have this problem. Would you be interested in hearing more about what the other side looks like without this problem? And it's our job to illuminate that, but we don't control. This is the other thing I hear a lot. Josh, they had this problem. We illuminated it and they didn't want to move forward. I'm like, that's because you don't get to control that. People live with problems all the time. So do I. I have a pixel out right now in the back bedroom in my TV, but I rarely watch that TV and I barely notice the pixel. So I'm not going to change it right now because I have limited resources. So do you, so does everyone. So people are like, how do I get everyone to be more urgent? I go, you can't. You can certainly help people understand the cost of the problem. You can certainly do that. You can certainly go through and start to talk about what's the cost of inaction. And we can get into that if you want, because that's another secret sales superpower is the cost of inaction, helping people understand what's the cost of not doing anything. They still might not want to fix it because <laughs> they got other stuff going on. This kind of gets back to you can't control, you, you can't create motivation. You can only align with it. You can shine a light and do all these things, but at the end of the day, the, the prospect is in control of when they buy. They buy on their timeline and for their reasons, not on yours. And so the, the mantra really is, I know I'm talking about mantras because I'm into this TM now. This thing I came up with was, and first off, I don't know if I came up with this, but I thought of it, maybe someone else said it because it seems like obvious. I came up with this thing like conversations, not a conversation conversations, 
not a conversation. You don't get attached to any kind of conversation. You're just going to have more conversations. And the more conversations you have, the more you lean back, the more opportunity you have, the more money you end up making. But if your intent is to turn every conversation into a sale, that's where things can feel bad on your soul. And another side of that is you project that out, what your actual intentions, what your actual feelings are. You can't hide 100%. that. Yeah, you end up sounding like we did earlier in this podcast when the, your voice sort of gets all jacked up and you get very defensive. People raise an objection and it's like you're a mother cub defending its cubs. You get very defensive over, you know, what, what you're trying to defend. You know, tell me, uh, so I was on a call with uh, Samantha McKenna. We were doing like some coaching calls. She, got a, she had a great point here. We we're doing some role-playing and the prospect said, you guys have a mobile app version of your software. And the rep, oh my God, we got the best mobile app ever. It does A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And the prospect said, oh, it's too bad. We're not allowed to have mobile apps for security reasons. And Samantha's point was, when someone asks you if you have a mobile app, instead of looking at that as a sales opportunity, you might wanna say something like, would love to answer that question. We certainly have one, but what's kind of inspiring you to ask it? And you might say, well, we're not allowed a mobile app. And that which case you might wanna change the talk track a little bit. Well, we certainly don't have to deploy it. Uh, we do have it, but a lot of organizations like you that have those types of constraints or security protocols, we have a way to suppress that so that your users can't download the app ever. Oh, great. Like, but again, it comes from detaching. Yeah, so. Circles and objects right in front of you. And this is an opportunity. We have the best mobile app. Hold on a second. If you have that perspective, take a step back. You got to qualify everything. Every question they ask has some deeper meaning to it. You need to be able to pull that out. It's more like, I don't, know, I don't know if qualifying is, it's more like understanding it. Like just kind of understanding like where it's coming from a little bit. You're like, where's this, where's this coming from? Not assuming that it's like a buying signal. Cause again, when you're attached to the outcome, anytime, Josh, why are you the best sales trainer? Do you guys have an app? You kind of go into this like pounce mode, you know, so. When you're, have, I've been on calls before where I've done really well, like with that tone of indifference, right? Like I've been done really well and then I get to a certain point and I like your term pounce mode and I hear like a trigger word and I turn into like a pounce mode. How, like, how do you catch yourself sometimes? Because the way that I caught myself is I, we would work on a sales floor and I would always sit next to Luke and like a few other people that were all making cold calls together and someone would hear me on a call, right? And they'd look at me and they'd go like, slow down. Or they would, they would say, calm down, something like that. So I would catch myself in that pounce mode and I would calm down. How do you catch it? I mean, we're all remote now. So we all make cold calls pretty much by ourselves. How do you catch yourself in that pounce mode? Do you have to train yourself to listen for those keywords to know like, okay, I have to calm down when I hear that? Or is it just something that comes with like practice? Max, you're already ahead of the game, man. I mean, the fact that you're thinking about it and that you're cognizant of it, you're going to end up working on it. And it's kind of getting your reps. And I, look, everyone slips into that mode. I've been doing this for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years. I slip into that mode. Like I was just, there was a client that I recently closed, a big, big account, 
um, 65 reps or so. And, you know, it's, you, you kind of can, you, you kind of get there, um, but you realize, and what you're doing is exactly right. Like, oh, I'm, I'm aware of it. Like the first step is awareness, right? Like I'm aware of it. I got to be more cognizant of that. And you just start to practice it and be also accept when you don't do it. Like there's this saying in transcendental meditation, which I really like, which is take it as it comes. Meaning like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like it's okay if someone does these things or you do something, it's kind of part of your natural process of evolving over time. Certainly I have done things in my career that I regretted. And a mentor once told me something I'll never forget. He's like, Josh, go ahead and kick rocks for two minutes, be upset, be angry, and then kind of say to yourself, nothing I can do about it. It's already in the past. Let's just go on to the next thing. You know, again, unless you have a DeLorean, I'm dating myself with these references, reference to an 80s movie called Back to the Future. All you young kids. Like, why is this old man talking about 80s movies and P90X? Like, can we get someone on here that's 20 that has some like better references? I'm sorry, guys. I apologize for your audience for being that old guy with these really bad, terrible references. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing. It's like being okay. Like, this is the thing I realized when I'm, I'm 50 now that I didn't realize when I was your age. I mean, it took me a long time to get this. Like, everything's going to be okay. None of it really matters. Like, sales is going to be up and down. Your life is going to be up and down and everything's okay in the end. Like the thing that happened to you at work right now, the worst thing going to happen, the prospect that said this, I hung up on you or the deal that you lost. When you get to be a couple of years older, you're probably not going to remember it. Everything's going to be fine, man. You're never going to be on the streets. It's all okay. You're still going to eat sushi if you like that or fried chicken or whatever your thing is. Like, it's all okay. It's all okay. Everything's going to be okay. That's really comforting. Yep. Even though it might not seem that way when it's happening because you don't have the perspective. Yeah, that's, I think that's a, a great place to, to end things just because that was a huge piece of my success was eventually realizing that in work. I obviously I still get caught up or I overreact to things and, you know, it happens. But I think that's just a great place to end it because that's a place where going back to my question around like, how do I calm down? How do I get less anxious? That's a huge part of it, just having that perspective. Um, and so I just think that's an awesome way to end it. I'm happy that we kind of like stopped it there. Um, so I appreciate you jumping on. When we wrap things, we usually ask if, if, if there's anything to plug or like where can people find you? Kind of just plug it here so people can kind of hear a little bit more about you too uh, after they jump off this podcast. Yeah, I'm, on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can follow me there at uh, LinkedIn and uh, my website's joshbraun.com. And I sell this thing called the Badass B2B Growth Guide that helps you start more conversations with people without feeling slimy, manipulative, or gross. And you can get to that <laughs> on my website at joshbron.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks, Josh, for jumping on. As always, this is the SalesCast podcast. Um, so thanks. I appreciate it for everyone for listening. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.